We're gonna, I'm going to move on a couple of things. Come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And again, there's a watch up here that's been left behind, and I don't know whose it is. It's a decent watch. Is a fossil a good watch, I guess? I don't know. Okay. It's up here if you need it. I said 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Bring in the sheeps, bring in the sheeps. Glad you're here and glad you're situated and settled and ready to go. Let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for your many blessings. And again, thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the great questions during Q&A. Thank you for the people's interest in the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you'll keep them interested in the Bible and that they'll uh, continue to study it. We'd ask now your blessings upon the uh, service this evening and that you might help us to see these things. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now what I've been doing here is, is I've been trying to help you to understand some things about preaching and what preaching is supposed to be about and what preaching is supposed to be like. So if you want to stand up and stretch for just a second, I'm going to read you a couple of verses and then I'm going to get right to it. <clears throat> now the Bible teaches you in verse number 12, he said that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom. I'm going to give you the verses and we'll come back and comment. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you heard of us, nothing gives a preacher more joy than know that when you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you, you want to mark those next four words if you haven't already. It only affects you if you believe it. You can know it, but if you don't believe it, it won't help you at all. Now, ladies and gentlemen, right here, he's not talking about just salvation. Right here, he's talking about when the Lord says something, that settles it. But in order for it to have an effect on you, you have to believe what it says. And if you don't believe what it says, it isn't going to make any difference, no matter how true it might be. It only works if you believe it. All right, and then he goes on to say this, for, brethren became, uh, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, and ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus, their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, contrary to all men. Um, I've already prayed, so just go ahead and have a seat there. Now, let me comment on these verses, and then I'm going to come down around verse 18, and I'm going to move over to back over to 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter number, or 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. But before I go over there, I want to point out a couple of things to you. Notice the Apostle Paul in his preaching, he uses the words in verse 11 to not just exhort and comfort, but also to charge. Uh, to charge somebody with something, ladies and gentlemen, is to officially uh, condemn them or tell them that they're responsible to have done something. 
So Paul says it's not just to comfort and it's not just for the purpose of, 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 uh, I mean, of exhorting you, but also to charge you, meaning to let you know what it is you're guilty of. So in my previous uh, profession, it would be whether or not you would get up and plead guilty, not guilty, or no contest. Paul says preaching should involve charging. If someone is guilty, you say what the Bible says and you consider yourself officially charged with that. Uh, for instance, if you're not saved, you're guilty, I'm charging you, of deicide. You killed God's son. That's a charge. Uh, Paul charges some individuals, especially in the book of Corinthians. He charges one boy over there for committing uh, fornication and he charges the stepmother that he's messing around with with adultery. That's a charge. So preaching is intended to charge you if you're guilty of it. Now, if you're not guilty of it, then thank God you're not guilty of that. But you, you have to be real careful that when a preacher has an edge to it and he charges the congregation, uh, don't take it personal. If the shoe don't fit, don't put it on. But if you're guilty, you're a fool not to take it. Notice where that verse is located there. The reason for doing that is, as Paul says secondly in verse 12, that he's given them instruction on how to walk worthy. Not just talk the talk. Paul said preaching is supposed to have some instruction on how you ought to live. And everybody doesn't know everything they should know. And so Paul says it's so that you know how to walk worthy. It's to give you information on where you're not hitting the mark. And that's when he makes the statement in verse number 13 that he said, now we're giving you these things that it must be pretty hard to swallow. It must be pretty hard to take. And the Apostle Paul says, we're grateful. We appreciate the fact that when you heard it, you didn't think it was just us shooting our mouth off, but that you really, really believed that it was the words of God. And it only effectually works in you if you believe what I told you about those things. It'll help you. But if you don't believe it, you can't convince somebody with a convincing machine. Our problem nowadays is that problem exactly exists in the world today. It's I may be guilty, but I'm not as guilty. I may have done, but oh, okay, why, why are we going? I, I can't tell you how many times I stop somebody. Uh, I know I'm bringing up my past and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm proud of my past. I'm not ashamed of it. And if you're ashamed of me for doing it, I don't even know what to tell you. It's a big part of my life. I can't tell you how many times I stop. I rode a motorcycle for a while, so I wrote my share of, of, uh, of tickets, moving violations and all that kind of stuff. I can't tell you how many times that I stop somebody and I'd be standing there getting ready to write them a ticket and they're like, why don't you get that guy? Why don't you get that guy? Well, I didn't do as bad as that guy. Well, you should go after him. Why are you after me? Well, I could go get all of those guys if I wasn't busy with you. That's Christians. But what about that guy? But what about that guy? Do you see? Now what you have to be careful about is, is to go guilty. What is that? I'll tell you where you get that from. You might know it would come from the Bible. You say, where in the Bible? The book of Genesis. Adam, where are you? I'm over here in the bushes. What you doing in the bushes? Well, we were afraid. Afraid of what? Why would you be afraid of me? Well, we were naked and we covered ourselves. Did you eat that tree? Lord, the woman you gave me. Yep. 
Hey, Eve, come here, sister. Yes, sir. Um, Do you eat that tree? Neither one of them say, yeah, they say the woman. You know what she says? The serpent. No, ultimately, they have to admit it, and therefore the bloodshed and all that kind of stuff. The devil ain't got nobody to blame. That preacher used to say always on a regular basis, you tell the measure of a Christian by how well they take a rebuke. And if they're always somebody else's and somebody this and somebody that, you're going to have a hard time getting through. Well, what about you? I have a hard time just like you do. I actually read my Bible. I read my Bible and the Lord will pull back that bowstring man and let thing go and hit me center mass. And I try, I try to stop it. But man, how many times right after he hits me right square in the heart, man, I'll say, well, at least I'm not. Tell by looking at y'all, y'all, you're never that way. Some of you are so pure, man, you wouldn't melt in snow. <laughs> you don't get it. That's self-righteousness. That's self-justification. That's, well, I, all right, now come on down. Look at that. He says, verse number 15. Now he's going to accuse him. He's going to charge him. He's going to talk about the fellow countrymen, the Jews, the people he's there to help, and the followers that are in the churches of God in Judea, and the Jews are, are persecuting, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and pleased not God contrary to all men. Now, the Apostle Paul now comes along the way and he says, there's some people that are doing us wrong and they're wrong in doing it. And he, in a sense, names names. Paul will say, Alexander the coppersmith have done me much harm. The Lord reward him according to his deeds. I don't want to be that guy. But Paul does that sometimes, where Paul will call somebody out and say, this guy's hurt us, and then he leaves it alone. Paul said separate from them if they don't have the doctrine and stay away from them. He doesn't say fix them. Right. Now come on down, I'm going to show you verse number 16. He said, forbidding to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin all way, for the wrath has come upon them uh, to the uttermost. Now, what is he talking about? They're not being allowed to go talk to the Gentiles about it because the Jews don't want them talking to Gentiles. And Paul said, my ministry is to the Gentiles. And he doesn't want them to do it. But we, brethren, verse number 17, almost done, being taken from you a short time in presence and not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but... Do you see those next three words? I'm here to tell you the devil is very real and very active. Take your Bible and come over to the book of Ephesians real quick. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now I'm going to give you a whole thing on this. I'm just going to show you a couple of things for you to, you know, get chicken skin about. Or you should. Paul says this, you're all familiar with the verse, take on the whole armor of God in verse 11, verse 12, wrestle not against flesh and blood, power, principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see all that? Having done everything, you stand. 
and then you stand there for, and you have the, you know, all the things that are there listed in the passage, and the helmet of salvation. So would you agree with me that, that your battle is against something spiritual? Come to Ephesians 4. Now, if that's the case, and that means that the devil is interested in tearing up your life and your personal walk with Jesus Christ. And the devil like nothing better than to mess up you by using somebody else to do it. And, and so all that is, is, a dis, is to put static on the line. It's to make you to recognize that something's larger going on behind the scene and you can't make it about a person. It's demonic in, it, it's in its inception. The Lord doesn't warn, warn you about the people there. He's warning you about the devil. All right, now look, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number four. This is a great church, by the way. The church at Ephesus, this is a great church. I mean, they got a little bit busy and had, you know, going and coming, but their biggest mistake was they left their, do you know the passage? Their first love. They got so focused on everything else that they forgot their relationship with the one that saved them. All right, now notice what he says here. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Come all the way down, if you would, the deceitful lusts that are there. Put off the former conversation in 22, 23. A 24, put on the new man. Requires some effort. Would you agree? 25, put away lying. That means exaggerations and everything else and, you know, making exceptions. You said put away lying. Speak every man the truth with his neighbor. For we're members one of another. Be angry, sin not. Uh, lest the sun go down, uh, not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place. Now, I don't know about you. I got that thing highlighted in my Bible. Give place to the devil. You mean I can give place to the devil? Well, according to that, I can. There's nothing in there about rock and roll music. There's nothing in there about the wrong movies. There's nothing there about hanging out in the bars or <clears throat> running with those kind of people. You know what he said? He says that has to do with the things whether or not you're put on the new man or not. And those attributes right there create problems for you. And the next thing you know, the devil's got a foothold. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm positive of this because I'm drawing it to bringing it to your attention. I'm, I'm positive what the cost is going to be for doing it. But you need to be aware of this. You need to pay attention that when it comes to demonic activities, ladies and gentlemen, it's more than just watching something you shouldn't watch on television or your YouTube channel. It's more than just a nasty joke or, you know, hanging out at the wrong place. No, that's not, you. That's not what y'all do. You don't do that stuff. It's not how the devil's going to get you. I can't imagine the devil tempting you if I were to pour a, bring a, with the big thing with the tap in the thing, uh, there's a, a barrel, a, a keg. If I put a keg down here and a bunch of frosty mugs and all that, I wouldn't expect y'all being, you know, <laughs> I, that, that's not you. If I were to tell you we're going to pull a movie screen down here and, you know, show you something, it, it's just a little racy, but it's not. Got, you, you, you get up and walk out the door. That's not even mentioned in the passage. In the passage I'm fixing to show you has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It has to do with your interactions with each other. Amen. You say, how do you know? The passage I'm fixing to give you in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 has to do with an unforgiven spirit. 
You have anybody that way? Paul said, to whom you forgive, I forgive also. Isn't that what he says? What is he asking them to forgive? A pretty heinous crime, isn't it? Some of you aren't liking that right there because there's some people you don't want to forgive. You want to see the axe fall. Paul said the guy's trying to get right. Read it in 2 Corinthians 2. He said, why don't you let him off the mat? Why? Look around verse 10 or 11 right there. What's the reason? You got it, Brother Mitch? That's written to Christians. Who say, well, to get you. Well, the fact is God forgave you and you can't forgive. Tough passage, isn't it? I'm talking about something personal. How personal do you think it got for Jesus? You think it took it personal when you sinned against Him? Well, if He didn't take it personal, He couldn't have died for you then. That's tough though, isn't it? Especially if it comes to family. Come back over to the First Thessalonians chapter 2. Preacher, I know this case. I, I know. I, I actually, believe it or not, I, I know you probably find it hard to believe. I know the cases too. But which side are you going to err on? At what point do you, do you pause and go, okay, wait a minute. I better check my own will here and make sure. That's one of the hardest decisions you'll ever make. You want to know what it is to walk by faith? For you to have your mind made up and God say, well, what if I don't like that? Well, what you going to do? Well, I know what I would do. Oh, okay. Careful. The hardest thing in the world to do is leave certain things up to the Lord to handle. Pretty good preaching. <clears throat> now notice what he says in verse number 19. He said, Satan hindered us. That's the devil. And then Paul says this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You know what preaching is supposed to do? It is supposed to point you from the here and now to the hereafter. It is supposed to get you to realize that once we get up there, we want to see you rejoicing up there and haven't done anything to hinder you from getting there and getting a full reward when you get there. And preaching is supposed to focus on that. How would Jesus handle it? I've known a lot of people, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, would He do what you do? You're walking in the Spirit, right? Would He do it? Generally speaking, you know how you'll answer that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know how you'll answer that? Sure. He absolutely would. Really? He, he'd, he would be that way with that attitude. Sure. You never even bothered to check it? 
And I just to be honest with you, I have to check my pride. Amen. I know you don't. That may be a little sarcasm there. But I have to check my pride. Amen. You say, why? You be careful before long you start taking credit for something you're not Amen. responsible for. And before long, if you start studying the Bible, you find out that's the devil. Amen. You'll never find a place where the devil repented or said he was wrong in anything or any part of it. The devil right now is still right in his own eyes. And he is appalled that anybody would accuse him otherwise. So much so he'll gather angels with him and come against the Lord, even though he reads the book. Can I just remind you of this? This is really important. Can I just remind you that if there is a close to a master of the book beside the Holy Spirit, it's the devil? He reads the book, but it doesn't effectually work in him because it doesn't apply to him. He knows the book. I hear all the time, well, you just get the book, you just get the book. No, it doesn't work unless you believe it. And how does it apply? He doesn't take the verses that apply to him but he'll sure use the verses to accuse you. He knows how to use the verses, but he don't ever say, yeah, I'm, I got some issues. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Along these lines with truth and with preaching, and one of the questions we got during Q&A one of the questions was, is uh, how's the Lord chastened somebody? And this by no means is intended to be chastening, but it is for you to understand that with truth, there's a price. And nobody is immune to it. And I realize this is pretty serious tonight and all that kind of stuff, but I need you to consider this. With truth comes a thorn. With truth comes sometimes you having to make decisions that make no sense to anybody else at all, but Amen. there's a price to pay. Amen. You might walk with a limp the rest of your life. Amen. You might wind up having a thorn the rest of your life. Paul said that in Philippians, he said that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of his sufferings. My goodness, Paul, you want to know him that bad? Yeah, it's worth it all. Well, you were caught up to heaven, weren't you there? And knew a man in the body, out of the body, cannot tell. Caught up to heaven. Yeah, I was up there. Well, what happened? So I want to show you a couple of things tonight. It won't be long, but I'll show you just a couple of things that happened. There's a great price to pay for the truth. What, what Paul saw literally changed his life and more, more reason than not. What Paul saw made a difference in his ministry and his preaching. And it wasn't that he was allowed to talk about where he went. This is the only passage you'll find where Paul talks about where he went, and he doesn't even expound on what it was when he got there. Doesn't say anything about it at all. Except, I was caught up there and I beheld things, and I can't talk about it anymore. The Lord sent me a thorn to remind me, shut your mouth, boy. Now you have to recognize that. That comes with truth. All truth is not for everybody. Look, if you will, please, in verse number five. Of such an one will I glory, yet I, of myself I will not glory, but in what? You ever had a, a real meeting with God? 
It'll change your life. Look in 2 Corinthians 11 there, right across the page. Look in verse 30. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the history and being a Pharisee and all the things I did that were good to do. No, Paul said, I will glory of the things which concern mine. Infirmities here, ladies and gentlemen, are not just physical weaknesses. They're the Apostle Paul saying, the things I should do, I, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. Good night, Paul. <laughs> that don't sound like nothing. Paul said, I only glory in my, my weaknesses. Not sicknesses, my sniffles, or my bad eyes, or whatever. My, my problems. I'll glory in my trouble. I'll tell you about that. Why? That I'll not be exalted or lifted up and think I'm better than you because I'm not going through something. Are you with me? That's Paul. I'm going to glory, but in my infirmities. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you glory in? The amount of time you've been saved? Your church attendance? How many verses you can quote? What school you went to? How much money you make? Your physical health? I mean, what do you glory in? I have to check it. I'm checking it with you, but I'm preaching right now. What do you glory in? It says a lot about who you are as a person. Paul said, I have nothing to glory in. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 26 when he gets called out? He gets called out up there and they say, Paul, you can represent yourself. And the Apostle Paul said, I appreciate that. And I thank myself happy that I got a chance to do it. Well, Paul, they've called you a murderer. And they've said you've done all these things and false imprisonment and all these charges. And Paul gets up and says, well, bless God. I... No, he said, no excuses. I'm guilty. Guilty. Like to tell you what happened to me. Uh, met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Changed my life forever. But as far as what I did, guilty. I reminded of that boy that was out there in the Midwest in uh, Montana. This is back in the days where they hung him. I kept the illustration for years and it got so worn, I took it out of my Bible. It's in my notes somewhere. When I die, y'all can, if anybody cares to, you find it somewhere in all that mess. But I remember the thing, it was a newspaper article that somebody had given me, and a guy had gotten over there, and he had uh, raped and murdered a woman and her daughter. And they sentenced him to the death penalty by hanging back then. And he got saved when he was in prison, and the, uh, one of the do-gooder agencies got in there, were trying to get his sentence converted, and they came in there and put a microphone in his face. Newspaper guy, wasn't a microphone, not a TV thing. And they said, how do you feel about these people there taking up your cause and this and that and the other? He said, no, they're not. He said, I am saved and I've been forgiven for what I did, but I deserve to pay for what I did. And I wish they would stop trying to get my sentence commuted. I deserve to die for what I did. And a fellow asked me, he said, you think that guy's converted? I said, man, if he ain't. <laughs> he knows where he's going when he dies, but he said, I deserve to die. Not, well, I was different then. I hope you can commute my sentence. I can have a jail ministry. No, kill me. 
You know what Paul said? Guilty. Can I mind this to you that when the Apostle Paul was accused of all that, the Apostle Paul did it in the name of the law and he had the law to behind him to do it. But he knew according to God's law it was wrong. It's tough, ain't it? Well, let's go on just a little bit further. <clears throat> the old preacher used to say as quiet as a turkey farm in Thanksgiving. Look in verse number six when it comes to truth. I'll give you this as a little note. Uh, revealed truth makes you no better. It just makes you a little wiser. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear. It means I'm not going to do it. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, and that that he heareth of me. Man, if anybody could have told you anything, the Apostle Paul could have told you things no human person had seen, and the book of Revelation is not even written at that particular time, not finished. Nobody has copies of it at the dime store to be able to hear all the things and see all the things John wrote about. I mean, if Paul wanted to talk about a near-death experience and being up there, Paul had it. You know what he said? I can't tell you about that because you'll be thinking I'm something. Truth doesn't make you any better than anybody else. King James only Bible believer, rightly dividing. Got a Christian studies certificate or got a degree from a Bible school, this one or any other one. It doesn't make you any better than anybody else. You may know some things, but listen, the devil has wisdom. It's the deal with understanding of when and where and how to apply that stuff. That's the thing the devil's missing. How does that thing relate to God? I'll show you another thing that comes with truth, and that's a difficult thing. Look in verses 7 and 8. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. What does that mean, preacher? It uh, prevents pride and uh, 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 removes pride and it prevents you from being exalted. Real truth comes with a thorn. Why? To keep you down. I've watched that old preacher and I use him on a regular basis because I've never seen a better example of it. I know that times he's had information where he could shellack people with the information and the truth he had and him sit there like he had never even been to Bible school and knew nothing about the Bible. The Lord revealed truth to him. He could go ahead and do it. But you know what he, he said? Yeah, brother, I guess I, I probably need to pr pray about that. I, I, uh, you say, why? Well, you're the infamous Dr. Ruckman. I mean, you're supposed to know all the answers. Well, I have to pray about that one, brother. Sometimes the thorns that we have, ladies and gentlemen, is because we are too big for our own britches. I'm talking about how the Lord sees us. No matter how other people see you. You're going to stand in front of Him. You're not going to stand in front of other people. I mean, to tell you how that thing will get you. That thing will get you every time when you read in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and the Lord says to you, can you take the wrong and that's thankworthy for my sake? Can you take it? No, I ain't taking it. I'm right. Well, if you take the wrong thing for the right reason, you're a spiritual giant, aren't you? Can you take it? Well, they're lying about me. Do you really want them to tell the truth about you? 
how far back you want them to go. Do you forget the pitch you came out of? You're putting your throne up there above God's throne now? God needs you? Does He? I'd be gone here tomorrow. You know what will happen? The Lord will provide somebody else for you and you won't miss me within a year. You say, why? We're all expendable. And for you to think otherwise makes you akin to the devil. None of us God has to have. God allows us to do it. With that truth comes a responsibility. It increases your prayer life. I besought the Lord thrice. How much you pray before you shoot your mouth off? You ever pause to think for just a minute? Maybe somebody's been praying and fasting. You ever think that? Or you just put your mouth in gear and start talking. When's the last time you prayed before you answered your wife? I'm talking to the men now. I'm sorry. I, the, I, I can't talk to the women. You'd be really upset with me. When's the last time you prayed before you started to grab the reins and your husband and pull the bit and the bridle one way or the other? Or you manipulate him by your lack of attendance and your lack of involvement and all that kind of stuff? You ladies by far underestimate the power you've got. Not only that, the power you have over your kids. You women are the ones that have control of those kids. Don't you fool me. You let, let daddy get involved here and there, but you ain't got the time that woman's got with those kids. You ain't the one sitting at the table doing their homework and fixing their boo-boo, drawing their bath and putting them to bed. That's, that's the ladies. You know what that thing will do? That thing will increase your prayer life. And then also, notice what he says, a messenger of who? Of Satan to buffet me. It brings attacks. I wish I could get accustomed to that. Things will get running along real good and they'll get moving along pretty well and I'm thinking we're going to get through it. <laughs> it. used to be a joke every time I got ready to go to the jails and prisons. I mean, man, the stinking bottom would fall out to the point it just, it just got to be humorous. You couldn't miss it. Nothing else going wrong at all. And the place where you're staying is getting robbed and you can't get the van to start and the air conditioner goes out and the rooms aren't any good and you can't get into this and that and the other and you run into a, 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 a correctional officer there and won't let you in and this and that and the other. To the point at one time, the preacher sat down on the bench over there and he just started laughing. I said, what you laughing about? And he said, don't you know what's happening? He said, we must be doing something, right? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there's that. <laughs> That's a lesson I hadn't learned too well. Are you up to go a little further tonight? Are you, everybody doing all right so far? Look in verse number seven. It'll bring a communion with the Lord in helping you to understand your infirmities. Look in verse number nine there. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather... Why is he glorying in his infirmities? Because he's a masochist? No. 
He's glorying in his infirmities because it brings fellowship with the Lord and it drives him to his knees. You know what, I, I'm, I'm going to say something and it's going to sting a little bit, but oh well. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. And I've watched some of you folks here for years, especially you've heard this over there, and it reminded me, I've watched some of you folks that have been around for years and years and years, and you know how rare it is to see you down at an altar. I mean, Sunday school teachers, choir people, singers, nursery workers, preachers. Preacher, we don't see you there. I'm preaching. You know what's odd to me? You know what that seems to say to me? You just think you're right all the time or you're so stinking proud that you don't want anybody to know you've got the same problems they got. You say, you're just trying to force me down there. That's the wrong response. It's a biblical precedent. And we got away from it. We're like, well, no preacher. One of the worst things in the world is, is to be preaching somewhere and the Lord deal with you and even you're the one preaching there. And don't you think for a minute that pride don't jump on you. You say, preacher, what do you do? Well, I get up and get down, but I can be honest with you. Sometimes I'm arguing all the way down the thing. Well, I got to do that now. Well, I got to do that now. I mean, can I, can I do this a little later? I mean, I see you tonight before bed, you know? See, I know you don't do that, but I know some of you do, and I know some of you, you just hadn't felt conviction in so long. You don't know what it's like to get down before God anymore and pray and bawl your eyes out. Well, you come a long way, baby. I see some of you daddies. You're supposedly leading your kids. When's the last time you took your kid by the hand and brought him to an altar? You talk all about how, what a great dad you are and all that. When's the last time you had family altar at home with your kid? You sure will take them to a ball game or take them to a match or take them to a tournament or take them to uh, fishing or hunting or swimming or, or skiing or whatever else to make sure that. When's the last time you took them to, let me show you about meeting Jesus. You're a great example, glowing example of real humility. I'm talking to you men. I'm not talking to the women. Women, if you look at the people that are here, you're supposed to be praying, but you're watching and praying, and you're looking down there, and some of you, I watch you, you're thinking, God, more people are going. I wish they'd quit going. Well, you know what? Get up and go ahead and go. They're doing business with God. I'm sorry it's getting in your lunch plans. I'm wore out with that. We're here to meet with the Lord, and then they want to meet with the Lord. It's like, Tuh. Really? You ain't been down here in I don't know how long. Oh, sorry. Lord's Supper. You'll make sure to make that trip. And confess things that you know you've been guilty of until the last time we did the Lord's Supper. Preaching bounces off of you like a BB on a rubber tire. And you're the great dad and the spiritual leaders. And the King James only Bible believers. And boy, you can sure tell everybody how they need to live their life. But you sure don't have much of an example. Not when it comes to that. 
You think about it. When was the last time you went? Well, preacher, if you'd preach something worth hearing. If I don't preach something worth hearing, you know what you should do? You should walk out and go find you somebody that does. Don't be tempting me. I'm not tempting you. I wouldn't stay here if I wasn't getting fed. You know what you say when you don't come to church? That preacher ain't got nothing to say that I care about. That's what you're saying. I don't need preaching. Well, I guess you don't. Parties canceled for lack of attendance. No, I won't keep preaching. But you know what you say to every preacher in every church that happens to be represented here that's not our own? You know what you're saying to that preacher? You ain't got nothing to say to me on a Wednesday night. You don't have nothing to say to me on a Sunday. You missed it. You're not here to find out whether or not I have something to say. You're here as a testimony to the world out there. But you don't care about that, do you? Something's more important all the time, ain't it? Wednesday night goes, and then Sunday school goes, and then Sunday night goes, and then you're in a spot you never thought you'd be at, and everything becomes much more important to you. And you wonder where your fellowship with the Lord is. Well, maybe you're getting knocked in the head because you ain't had none. And maybe it's like the brother said, the Lord's tried to tell you and tried to tell you and tried to tell you, and you wouldn't listen, and so now you got an explosion going on, and you're like, man, what's their problem? Can I get a witness? Anybody? I can tell you, even as of now, and I'm going to say it because I have withheld saying it because it sounds like I'm trying to make our problem worse than anybody else's problem. But when she was told she was going to die, and had less than two years to live, even with treatment, that was a pretty dark time for us. I mean, that was a pretty, I mean, we bucked it up. We did what we got to do. I don't, I don't even know how, I mean, I'm telling you, I know it's because of prayers that she's here, but the doctor said until the end of that thing, even with this, it ain't going to happen. Just be prepared. We'll do all we can. Well, she's still sitting there. But, I, but, I, but I'm afraid to tell you that because somebody's going to say, you know, oh, you're always talking about what she means to you. Hey. You've been with me for 44 years. And she didn't get to choose to be in this. I drug her in it. And she said, if that's what the Lord wants you to do, and I'll do it. Amen. So, you can match that fine. But you know what I've done? I've, I've withheld using the stuff that happened, the horrible, horrible stuff that happened in that time because I don't want to make it look like, you know, we went through something nobody else went through. How do you think it'd be if your husband was the preacher and you, you went to the altar with your husband preaching? <laughs> Don't you kind of feel like you'd be yielding to an argument or something? You know, it's like, maybe you went to the altar today. would you go to the altar for? Between me and Jesus, you know. <laughs> thing. That's got to be hard to do, man. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, well, she snaps the whip. Oh, okay. Well, help us out. Plenty for everybody to do. Amen. We need all the help we can get. 
Hallelujah. Better turn off the internet. He ain't done yet. Look at the bottom part of verse number 9. It brings some additional light beyond just knowing and understanding. I mean, beyond just knowing, but understanding. No, he says the word joy, pleasure, gladly in tribulation. It produces a, 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 a divine power. That power can only come from suffering. The ministry is made of misery. Paul's thorn wasn't self-inflicted. Paul didn't go beat himself or anything like that. But the Apostle Paul recognized, and it wasn't punishment for what he did either. The Apostle Paul realized, without that thing right there in my life, my life would be a mess and my ministry would not be any good. The power Paul had in his preaching was not just the Holy Ghost power. It was allowing the Lord to do with him whatever he wanted. And i got to be straight up as honest as I know how to be. I still struggle with that one. Can God do with me what He wants to do? I have all kind of ways of how that ought to be. Right. No, I really do. I'm thinking, well, yeah, you know, if He wanted me to be a missionary, if He wanted me to go into evangelism, wanted me to retire... Can God do with what He wants to? Yeah, sing a solo. <laughs> Give you cancer. Yeah, whoa, wait now. <laughs> right. Give you trouble. I can't hold a candle to Job. And I don't blame him for getting upset about it. It's kind of like, what did I do? Lord said, I'm picking on you because I like you. I'm not getting on to you. I'm using you against the devil. What do you think? That thorn has uh, got a lot of things that come along with that. And that comes from you learning the truth. And so if you've got a preacher that's preaching to you the truth, and you accept that truth, ladies and gentlemen... I hate to tell you, but with that truth comes tribulation. And your groaning will have to go to glory in or you won't ever exchange the pain for the power. Your testimony means nothing until you're going through trouble. That's when people are watching you. Let me give you one last thing and we'll go to the barn. I was trying to get you out of here before 8 o'clock. Look in verse number 10. The Bible not only brings you closer to the Lord, so you have Him with you with what follows in verse number 10. Therefore I take pleasure in, look at that, infirmities, that's weaknesses, that's physical things. But not only that, mental things. You say, what is that? What do you think reproaches are? Necessities, things that have to be that can't be otherwise. They just are, they're necessities coming, whether you like it or not. Persecutions. Comes with it. It doesn't always come from people you'd expect it. I mean, you don't expect a Muslim to come through the door and say, you know, Alu Akbar and all that stuff. Well, you guys would probably take him down before he got one step in the way, but, but the bottom line of this is, is that the persecutions he's talking about here uh, come from people you know. And he says, 
That's mental. That's tough, ain't it? You say what? What's between your ears? I got a few aches and pains as I've gotten older, and some of them are from, you know, when I played ball and different things like that and so on and so forth. And uh, those things I expect to have, and making knees and shoulders, elbows sometimes, and, you know, where I broke my back and a couple other things like that. And they'll bother me at times, and, but rarely do they bother me bad enough to keep me up. But you know what keeps me up? What's going on between my ears? You say, what do you do? Oh, I, I go in and turn on, you know, YouTube and watch Jordan Peterson and learn how to get a hold of myself and get me a good psychiatrist or some uh, modern day person to tell me how to overcome anxiety. I don't care what anybody tells you and you call it whatever words you want to call it. Anxiety is a real thing. I don't really believe that anxiety is real. Okay. Well, you ain't ever lived with somebody who has whatever. It comes from the word anxious. It ain't just worrying. It's being nervous about what could happen. I called a young girl yesterday, or my wife did, to check on her about something. And um, she said, I have to call you back. I have to call you back. I have to call you back. I mean, she is like 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, I didn't say anything. I didn't want her to know I was there. I the deal. And she said, there's a tornado coming through here. The sirens are going off in the city. I'm in the bathtub with the kids. I mean, she was going, she wasn't anxious. She was just not trusting God to deliver her from the tornado with her and her children. What? She's scared that her kids might get sucked up in a tornado. Well, she's been watching too many movies on tornadoes or she would have known. No, I looked it up while she was on the phone. I'm looking and I'm like, oh, they, they actually have one on the ground and they're in a bad spot right now. And my wife said, you could hear in the background the door going. You know. And I said, what in the world was that? In a bad storm. Well, just tell them to trust the Lord and don't get so anxious. I hope God never has you move in with somebody that has that problem because you'd probably keep them from going to the doctor and getting help. You'd probably have them eating mushrooms or something. I'll say this without holding back anything. You better be careful about anybody but a professional telling you how to deal with that stuff and diagnose things and how that kind of stuff. you got a nurse back there in the back, three rows from the back, that's been around 30 years. You know what you find out about her? She's diagnosed more of you than there are in here. She's seen every kind of thing you can see in over 30 years of working in hospitals. When have you heard her say, well, you got this and you got that and you got this problem and you got that problem and you need to do this, you need to do that. And uh, let me tell you, you know, ask your doctor for this prescription and that prescription. You know what she does? Most of you didn't even know she was a nurse. Because she doesn't take an interest in your life to diagnose you. She's not a doctor. What preacher has even those credentials to tell you how you should act mentally over whatever it is you're going through? 
You're talking over your head. Again, I apologize for the description I'm about to say. I've had them right there with a gun in their mouth. Literally. Right there. Eight feet. Right there. You're not anxious. You're not upset. You're not... You're good. Well, he was after he put his brains all over the wall. You can't unsee that. That's not being told to you, but I got to be honest with you. When I hear somebody that hadn't seen that to tell me that I don't know about people and being anxious, run along, Sonny. I deal with it every day. And the pain between your ears sometimes can be worse than the physical pain in your body. I deal with people that have lost children before their time. I deal with people that their divorce ruined their life totally. You label it however you want to. But I'll label you. You're talking out of school. You better wake up and every preacher that's listened or maybe hears this message, you better wake up and butt out. You're not a doctor. You're not a psychiatrist. And for you to make a statement like that shows your ignorance. Paul says distresses. You don't think Paul was stressed out? Can I ask you a question? I'm trying to wind up. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? You're a Bible student. When Elijah sat down underneath the juniper tree and said, It is enough, Lord, I'm no better, Lord, I no better than my father's. It's enough, Lord, let me die. How would you diagnose that? If the pain's not between his ears, how would you diagnose that? You're a Bible student. If that's not psychological pain, ladies and gentlemen, how would you diagnose it? Well, he was having a bad day. He's ready to die. You know what Paul said? Part of being a Christian, part of that truth that you get comes with distresses. Paul said we're distressed on every side. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's part of what comes with it. Last of all, let me just say this. One of the great things about that thorn is it'll weaken your flesh for the purpose of Jesus Christ being strong in you. Because Paul says that the Lord said, I mean, Paul says his own testimony is, is that when I am weak, then I'm strong. But if you looked at Paul, you would think he was very strong. That's one of the strong men in the Bible. He's stronger than Samson. To endure all of that and then be able to say this, I'm now ready to be offered. Let me go. Heavenly Father,